Good afternoon. If you're hearing my voice, it must be three o'clock on Tuesday, and you're listening to Voices from the Frontlines, your national movement building show. We are on the line again with a great set of organizers doing work on the front lines despite this quarantine and despite this deadly pandemic. Um, we are on the line, of course, with your host, Eric Mann, and myself, Channing Martinez, co host and producer and three high school organizers, Gianna Magdaleno, Cassandra Soriano, Angela Soriano, all high school students at Ochi High School. And we'll be speaking about the Bus Riders Union campaign for urban reconstruction. You know, I think about this campaign 24-7. I, I do. And each time what I try to do is think about how can I keep explaining it better to myself and how do I explain it to other people? Because the campaign is great, but it hasn't yet really taken off at the level that we want it to. So what I think is great about it, and the reason sometimes we do call it the campaign for urban reconstruction, is because if we win, we'll turn the whole city upside down, right? No cars in the way. Have you ever been on the freeway and imagined no cars in the way? Have you ever imagined if somebody's arrested for fair evasion, which simply meant that they use their mother or their brother's pass or snuck on the train because they had no money. Can you imagine if it was just free? No police, no conductors, you just free. So that's one thing. The second thing is that I don't think I've done the best job yet of doing the climate science to say how many cars in LA produce how many greenhouse gases and those greenhouse gases kill people in the third world and this is how many people they can kill this number of cars generates this many greenhouse gases, generates this many deaths. I'll just give you a scary number. Something like 15,000 black people so far have died in the COVID-19 pandemic in the United States. If black people died at the same rate of white people, there'd be 6,000 more black people alive. So the pandemic has not just killed black people, but it's killed 6,000 more black people because it's racist. So we want to be able to say to people very clearly, this car leads to this emissions, that leads to this death, this asthma. That's what we're trying to do. So that's the one thing I want to talk about, the no cars part. But the other thing we know is we can't have no cars really, really, really if we don't have free public transportation because most of the people who have money, they drive a car. 
Most of the people don't have money, mainly black and Latina. They take the bus. Did you know that since the MTA raised the bus fare from $75 to $100 and raised the fare to $1.75, 400% more low-income people have bought cars. Because if they're going to pay $100 for themselves, $100 for their partner, $43 for, for a daughter in community college, two $24 passes, and their 21-year-old son, who's half unemployed, is paying $100. That's $500 a month. Go get a nice car with that. So the MTA is driving people into their cars, and that's where they're going. And we warned them when we went to court that that was the case. The third thing is the racism of everything. A lot of people say, uh, we want to fight police brutality. But I just was thinking even more today that what people, what mainly white people don't understand is police brutality is everywhere. So if you're saying you're working in a hospital, there's police brutality. Because they call the police on somebody who's mentally unstable. They call the police on somebody who didn't want to pay their bill. They call the police on somebody who's being loud in the waiting room, mainly black. If you're on the train, people don't think about police brutality on the train, but we know how much police brutality there is on the trains and buses. If you go to a museum, there's police brutality. Racism is my point. So we have three things we're trying to figure out. Affordable public transportation for everybody, which is about what we call mobility. Public health public transportation, which means zero emission buses would be phenomenal and cars are not. And third, to stop the police being all over the place because 50 to 60% of the people who get these tickets are black. So the reason it's urban reconstruction is because if we win, the climate will get a lot better. There'll be many less arrests on the train because you can't find any reason, although they will, of course. But you can't get people on fare evasion. And people will be up back and forth going on trains and buses. And having a better life than sitting in a car listening to themselves all day. That's our vision, but we're very far away from it. So we've talked a lot about free transportation, but I want to talk about the no cars, no way part more today, because I think everybody else has heard a lot. So I'm here with Gianna Magdaleno, Cassandra Soriano, and Angela Soriano, who are all at Ochi High School, and we're all working on our no cars in LA day at Ochi until the COVID virus happened, and we're going to still make it happen. So I want to talk more about my vision about what no cars in LA could look like. The main vision is that we need the government to just stop people from using their cars. And again, we can't stop people from using their cars if we don't have free public transportation. We get that? So it keeps going. It would be wrong to stop people from using their cars if the buses weren't running and you couldn't afford them. But there's also a climate crisis going on, which is we may just have to. It just may be that those cars are killing so many people and creating so much global warming that we just have to say that will come first. So we're trying to do two things at the same time. We're trying to get the people to understand that we want the government to have auto-free days which means on Monday, nobody drives their car. If that's the case, I can assure you the employers will give people free transportation to get them to work. Auto-free zones, which means some parts of the city are just closed off to cars and people can walk and bike and take a bus, but no autos. And then auto-free rush hours, which is where the, sometimes the main 
emissions come to because everybody is idling in traffic and just, you know, just generating all those emissions. Now, if that was the case, you had no choice. You can't say, well, I don't want to use my car or I do because you just can't use your car that day. But the second part of it, because the government isn't going to do that yet, is to get the people excited about that campaign and say to the government, I'll tell you what, we're not going to wait for you. One, we're going to have free transportation because we're not going to pay, which we'll get to. And number two, we're going to start experimenting with not using our cars. Now, because people do need their cars, we want to first get people in the idea of not having a car. And the way we're going to do that is we're seeing it now, right? Because during the COVID-19, everybody is, or most people are, staying in place. And so there's maybe 70% of the cars are, are not on the road right now. What we're trying to do at Ochi is what's called expanding people's imagination. Like, what do you mean no cars at Ochi? No cars in Ochi. How are we going to get there? Well, we're going to figure it out, which we want you guys to talk about, right? Then we have the idea of no cars in our church on Sunday. The parking lot is closed. If you got to park on the street, but try not to take your car even to the street, but just the idea of seeing a church with no cars in it would make people think, wait a minute, we could, we could have Sunday services without a car. How would we do it? And then they would have to start figuring it out. And it might be still carpools and vans and, you know, public transportation, but nothing's going into that church parking lot that's usually filled with cars. So one, you're trying to raise the people's imagination. The third thing is, just, and I have this idea, where you get some kind of a certificate that said, today I reduced my emissions by this much. I did it because today I didn't take my car to work and I realized that I drive 50 miles and that day my car would have put this much greenhouse gases in the, in, the, in the air and today I didn't put those in the air. And somebody else said, I want to get a certificate because I stayed home today or I did take the bus even though it was slow as hell. And so everybody starts reducing, everybody is trying to reduce their carbon footprint, not just saying the government should do it. And especially black and Latino people, because white people can return, you know, they can reduce their carbon print, you know, they can walk to Starbucks instead of drive. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about where it would be more of a sacrifice for most black and Latino people to not use their cars. So to summarize the campaign, right? Free public transportation, no cars in the way, stop the racial profiling, and stop the attacks on black passengers. And what was happening at Ochi was the beginning of our No Cars campaign. So with that, I'm here with Gianna Magdaleno, Cassandra Soriano, and Angela Soriano, who are all at Ochi High School, and we're all working on our No Cars in LA day at Ochi until the COVID virus happened. Maybe the three of you would just start talking about how were you thinking about that campaign? And even in the early stages, how was it going? When you, I'm more interested at first is when you were talking to people at school, I'm interested in consciousness first. What was their attitude? What, what was the conversations like? Is it okay if I start with you, Gianna, and then I'll go to Cassandra, then I'll go to Angelus? Yeah. So it was mixed reviews because about 50% of the students take the bus anyway, but most of them take the dash. So they was like, oh, it's okay. I take the bus anyway, and the other ones, they're kind of reluctant. They was like, I don't know about this because their parents drop them off every day, and they're just used to getting more sleep because if they have to take public That's transportation, right. they're going to have to wake up earlier to get on the bus. So it was mixed reviews overall. Yeah, but here's the thing. 
for the students who are on the bus, we have to find other ways for them to sacrifice because you can say, all right, good, then give me money for taking action or something. Because otherwise they're gonna say, sure, I already take the bus, you know what I mean? It is the students who are saying to you, you're right, I'm gonna lose more sleep. And then to say to them, that's right. And how do you think the other students feel who have to lose that sleep to go to school? Did you get anybody with a car who had a good attitude? Well, that mostly came from the teachers because majority of the students don't have cars. So the, one of the teachers, the Spanish teacher, Miss Ornelas, she lives on the east side and she said, like, she'll wake up the extra two hours just to make the small effort. So that was really inspiring and encouraging. That's a great story. Now, what we got to do, of course, is have her talk more and more to the other students, say, if I'm willing to get up for two hours early, will you, at least for one day, right? Did you find any student who was enthusiastic about not using that, having their mommy or daddy drive them to school? Not really. All right. So you're going to have to crack a few more heads, okay? You're going to have to really push even harder because somebody will when you push harder. That's great. Cassandra, how you doing? I, um... So similar to the reactions that Gianna got, I know for like some of the people I uh, I was talking to, especially like my friends, like their moms don't let them like ride free public transportation. Um, I know one of my friends, um, he does use public transportation, so he was willing to do it. But the majority of them, they have like their parents dropping them off. So they were like, mm, I don't know, you know? So it's like trying to convince them it's like a little harder, but like with the teachers, I know Miss Flint, she was like super excited. She was just like, I'll do it. Um, I just need your help finding the bus routes and everything. And so I was just like, yes, I'll help you with that as long as you're able to commit to it. And I know that's what a lot of teachers were saying as well, because they don't really like write the buses. So they just needed help with bus routes. Well, why do you think that so far the teachers who, yes, are maybe in some way more politically conscious, but historically, you know, students have been very politically conscious. So how do we get the students to understand that if the teacher is willing to make the sacrifice, what do you think you do this time to force the issue more clearly with the students? Stay with you, Cassandra, then we'll go to Angela's. I feel like if we just make them a little more aware and like have more like presentations and activities, like just informing them, they'll like understand a little better. And I feel like at the same time, students work well with incentives. So if we're able to like give them something, um, then they're more willing to like do it. So I feel like that's something we would have to like do. And how about you, uh, Angelus? How are you? This is Angela Soriano. And that was Gianna Magdaleno, you heard. And now, Angelus, how are you doing? Hi, Eric. I'm good right now. So let's go. How was your organizing going? Um, I think it was going well, um, like, during taking action. Like, I think a lot of the students were motivated to do No Car Day. And I think something that also helped, like, motivate them in taking action was when we did, um, we went from the Mer Park and we went in bicycles and they were able to see, like, it wasn't, like, as hard as they expected, like, going from the Mer Park to Expo. And they were really happy about it because they thought it was, like, a nice experience, like, getting away from using cars and, you know, actually, like, working towards getting to a destination, I would say. And 
they were really happy about it. And then they're like, oh, when can we do that again? Like, I want to use my bike more often. Like, I forgot how fun it was to use a bike. Well, that's great. Now, I'm going to get to Channing in a minute. Let, let, go ahead, Channing. Just, keep, keep going. The event that Angelus is talking about is we worked with the Ride On Co-op in Lamert Park. And every month, they actually do a bike ride and a bike training for first-time bikers. And so... There was one weekend we all decided that we were going to participate. And Ade, who runs the bike co-op, has been trying to organize me for months and even years. And I finally came around to, all right, Ade, we're coming. (laughs) And so they did have that. um, And mainly it was our core students. So, you know, around a core of about eight to ten students that came out. Well, I want to get to the issue of uh, how about for a minute less incentives and more moral challenge. And I want to talk to you about that. Cause listen to what Channing just said. I he's been pushing them for years, pushing them, pushing them. Finally said, all right, all right, all right. I'll, I'll do the thing. During the sixties, we didn't give people incentives. We gave people really good moral arguments that they began to understand. Like people would say, you know, we organized a lot of white people to support black people. We'll start with that. So white people go, well, I think the Negro is, is, deserves it, but why are they so angry? Why are they so militant? Why are they, they don't like white people. And we would say, they don't like white people because you deserve to not be liked. Because you are racist. Because you say you want to support the Negro, it's called black, but you don't want to do anything about it. You don't want to make any sacrifice. They're the ones making the sacrifice. All they're asking you to do is go with them and march on the mayor so it's not just black people. And then people go, I don't like that. I don't like that. But then they come back. And a lot of them said, I get it. All right. Because you got in my face. I went home and I was very angry. But then I thought, what's up with me? Just ask me to march with black people and I'm already giving you all these stupid answers. I don't like how I was in that situation. Then we had black people. Don't think it was just white people. All right. This ain't going to accomplish anything. I already did it. I am black every day. I don't need to do anything. I'm fighting for civil rights by waking up in the morning. And people say, brother, you're waking up in the morning and we're getting beat up. You are, in fact, being humiliated during the day, which you know. You're not having a good day, so don't say how black you are because all the black people that really count are marching on the city hall. Dr. King didn't say, well, I woke up today and I was black, so I didn't do a Montgomery bus boycott. You have a moral obligation to support your own people. And if we don't fight for our own liberation, who will? That worked. It's like, but nobody was, people were afraid to talk to people and get them to change the way they're thinking. And that's a lot what an organizer is. Uh, You're not mad at people. You're just trying to shake them up a little bit and challenge their ideas. So, you know, back to uh, Gianna, when you were saying some people like taking action, some don't because we're controversial. Remember, and I said to you, I like that word. So why don't you talk about how does it feel to be controversial? It's interesting because a lot of the times when we went out on the field, just talking to people, they have a lot of opinions, a lot of strong (laughs) attitudes. And so to combat that with facts and just a new view or a new idea it's really fun just to have these conversations and then see the slight changes in their approach or in their answers to say oh maybe 
maybe no cars can work. It's going to take some time, of course, but we could get there eventually. It's really inspiring. It is inspiring. And you were in the Strategy Center's Transformative Organizers Summer Intern Program. All three of you were. And the transformative organizing, the theory is that we're trying to transform the country. We're trying to transform the consciousness of the people who we talk to. But then we get transformed in the process of doing that. We're not the same person at the end of the summer. So maybe we'll go backwards this time, Angeles, Cassandra, and back to you, Gianna, about if you're going to be talking to students about no cars in LA, if you're going to be talking to adults about no police, what's it like and what was it like for you going through that? Start with you, Angela. At first, it was very intimidating for me because I was like a shy person. I didn't really like to approach people and especially because it was controversial. I was kind of scared of them. Like, you know, the attitudes, you know, telling them, like telling me I was wrong. But once I started going through the program, we started like Stephanie and Bridget, they pushed us, they helped us, like gave us like role playing training. And um, overall, like the people I was surrounded with, they encouraged me by being very supportive. They would be like, oh, go on, go, go talk to that person. I'll go with you. I'll back you up if you need help, but you need to start it off or something like that. And um, I think it was very, it was good for me because by the end of the program, I was able to go, just go up to a person and be like, hey, these are our demands. Um, you know, talk to them about it. And if they had like questions, I'll be like, well, here are the facts. And then it's like, it's like Gianna said, it's inspiring to see them change their minds and then be like, I'm going to support this or give me, or can I get some flyers? I'm going to pass them out around my neighborhood. And um, something that I remember happened was when Stephanie and I, she was one of the lead organizers. We went up to, we went to a house cause we were door knocking and the lady at first, she was like, she was like, who's the mayor of LA? Who's this and that? And she started giving us questions and she was like, I'm just trying to see if you guys are a legit organization. And we we're like, Oh yes, we understand that. And then um, we started telling her, like, here are five demands. We want free public transportation, um, no police and, and trains and buses, stop black attacks on black, stopping attacks on black passengers. And then she was like, that's very interesting. Like, I never thought about that. And then she invited, us, she invited us into her home and she was like, look, this is a problem I had in my school regarding the police and my child. She was like, um, they were talking about adding more, stuff like that. She was like, I would really like you guys to come to this um, meeting here and she gave us the details and I it was really good for me because it helps me see that there are people who do want change they just need the information they need to know that there are people like us in our organization who are fighting for these types of um, rights and that's what's gonna help them eventually. well you know what you just said because there's a lot of theory in what you just said and what Gianna said and I'll get to uh, I think Jenny wants to jump in and then Cassandra but here's the thing what you just said is really interesting. The first thing is people don't want people knocking on their door, don't know what the hell they're talking about. And so they're saying, right, what's the street you're on? What's the mayor of LA? How many people are in LA? How many buses? And if you go, duh, duh, then they don't want, they don't want to know your opinion, right? There's 2,500 buses. How much is the fare? Fare is $1.75. How much in a month? You know, blah, blah, blah. Who's the mayor? Who's, they just want to see if, you, as you said, I think that are you guys legit? The second thing we don't understand is that sometimes people just like to argue. You know, sometimes they want to take the other side, especially I have to say black people, but also Latinos and Jews. In my family, they had a thing called for argument's sake, <laughs> meaning Jews like to argue. 
So we would pick an argument over anything. Just it's, it's in the culture. So I think when they challenge you, it doesn't mean they don't believe what they're saying, but they also want to see, does this young person, were you trained right? Do you have the facts? Are you a serious person? And notice how it went from challenging you to inviting you into their home. And I was invited into a lot of homes in the civil rights movement. I'm still on now. You, you talk to somebody with respect. You don't argue with them with disrespect. You just disagree with them. And sometimes they just like you. You know, they say, oh, this is an interesting guy. Right, you want to come? Let's keep the conversation going. Let's have some coffee. So that's what a good organizer is. It's not just a talker, but somebody who loves the people and they love you. And after a while, they find you interesting. That's part of what, what is inspiring, what the word you use, Gianna, and, and uh, how you get transformed. So, Cassandra, what's up with you? Hi. Um, so for me, um, like the beginning of the summer internship program it was kind of it was new to me like I didn't really know what I was doing <laughs> so um but like throughout the program eventually like I was able to um converse with others and just figure figure it out a little more and I remember one in one conversation when we went to Ciclavia I remember it was like these two white ladies and I didn't know that one of them worked for the MTA. But then um, like I started talking to them about like free public transportation and like how the MTA has um, a $7 million budget and they're able to afford this and everything. And the lady that worked for MTA, she was just like, the MTA doesn't have that budget. Like we can't afford this. We can't do this. But then like, um, I tried convincing her, but like she was just like, okay, well, thank you. And she just left. But the other lady, she was just like, um, yes, they do have that budget. And she was like, continue fighting for this. Like, I know like the MTA, like, they're just going to try to tell you that. But she's like, continue fighting for it. Like, I believe in what you're doing. And she was like, really supportive because she was friends with the other lady. And I didn't know that until after. And she was just like, yeah, like, they're just going to tell you that. But just continue fighting for it. Because like, what you're saying is true. And it should be done. And I was just like, well, thank you. You know, like that actually like, gave me like confidence. Because like, at the beginning, I also didn't think, like, I didn't know that was the MTA's budget. And so it was just like, crazy for me and so just like to also have another person like confirm it I was just like we really should be having free public transportation and it really should be like a basic human right that we should have I want to ask one of the three of you and then uh, then Jenny please do jump in on anything you want how much do you understand the sales tax story when we tell people that have any of you been able to explain where the MT gets its money from the sales taxes didn't you say it's like two cents out of every dollar that could go off anything like chips groceries clothing something like that exactly like that two cents that's a good way to remember it see the mta has each time they try to pass a sales tax the first time they got a half a cent the second time they got a half a cent the third time they got a half a cent the fourth time they got a half a cent four times and a half is two Every time you pay 10%, right, on something, if you buy something for $100 and there's a 10% tax, $2 of that, not just 2%, $2 on the $100 goes right to the MTA. If you buy something for $1,000, I think $20 goes to the MTA. 
And $100 goes to the government. So, no, I'm sorry, let me start again. If you buy something for $2,000, $200 goes to the government and $40 goes to the MTA. So I don't think I got that math right, by the way. The point is two cents on every dollar, $2 on every hundred. Every hundred dollars, $2 goes to the MTA. Did a lot of people, when you told them about that $2, you know, two cents on every dollar, 2%, was anybody shocked when you talked to them about it? Did a lot of people say, I didn't even know that? Because people pay sales tax, but you don't know where it's going. Yeah, a lot of people, they were surprised. It was like, oh, wow. So every time I spend money, some of it's going straight to the MTA. So they were just surprised by it. They didn't know what to expect. They didn't know they were getting that much money. So what do you think, Channing? Where are we going with this this conversation now? Where do you want to take it? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I want to sort of sum up this part is that what you're hearing is very conscious organizers and their students, you know, they're all high school. And the interesting thing is that they all participated in our transformative organizing summer program this summer. And what we tried to do was something totally different than we've done. Typically during our program, we spend about half, sometimes even 75% of our time basically in a classroom learning a lot of theory and we'll go out organizing maybe once per week. So for a four week program, they're going out organizing four times. This summer, they went out almost every day. (laughs) And we did spend a little time on theory. You know, we did teach seven components of transformative organizing. We taught parts of playbook, but mainly all of the students and all of us just went out and tested those theories very quickly and learned a lot when they came back. And, you know, some of the things that came out of that is, you know, I think it was, I can't remember if it was you, Angelus, or Cassandra, but I remember you guys coming back the first time and being very nervous about organizing and feeling like you didn't know uh, what you were talking about. But in the first five minutes, you were able to get a membership. And that, you know, being one of the big influencers of the day. So the real, the the real, um, how should I say it? The real conclusion is that we were trying to figure out how do you teach theory through practice? And mainly we wanted them to go out and practice really just speaking to people. Um, And it's a breakthrough in many ways. One of the ways is that the thing that we're realizing during the summer is that, you know, we're, we're asking youth young organizers, young folks who are in Los Angeles high schools to go out to talk to adults in ways that they've never had the responsibility to do. And mainly in a lot of, you know, traditional schools, they're taught to, you know, just respect adults, right? And ask before you go to the bathroom and Mr. This, Mr. That. You're not used to saying, actually, your whole theory of what you think about your community is wrong. And we actually have this alternative theory, um, you know, just exploding their entire, you know, theory of how they think of the world. And so through that action alone, it was very moving for them and it was very beneficial for the organization as well. Well, keeping the idea of the theory going, you know, the strategy center doesn't really believe in so-called youth organizing the way other people do. We believe what we call multi-generational organizing. And of course, we're aware that when you're working with young people, there's something different about it. But in the main case, we tra- it's the same. 
it's much more the same than different. Like you read seven components, we read seven components. You read playbook, we read playbook. When we talk about what you did, we all talk about what we did. It's not like you had your own class and then we had an adult class. And when you tell me your experiences, I tell you mine. Because Channing started with the Strategy Center when he was 17, 18. I started the Civil Rights Movement when I was 18 and 20. It's not like, and when I started, I didn't think I was youth. You know, I just thought I was joining the Civil Rights Movement. So we do, if I can say, I didn't even like saying treat you like adults, which we, of course, we do. But we treat you as substantial people. And we're working with you as substantial people. Because imagine that Channing Martinez now at 32 years old ran for the city council of Los Angeles. Almost nobody does that. But he's been trained for 15 years to be a leader. So in the good sense, he's an older 32. And a lot of you are older, 16 and 17, 18, the very more mature, you understand what I'm saying. Because you don't, sometimes youth, they're trying to keep you in a slot. You know, Chopin, be, you know, he, he wrote sonatas when he's seven. So what are you going to do about it? We want young people to be talented, and then we want to encourage your talent. So if I can ask again, the three of you, how did you think the theory was working around the issue of your youth? You know what I mean? How do we deal with you as high school students? What did you think our theory was about how we were training you? Um, in my opinion, I feel like you guys were training us to be like better leaders in the long run. And so I felt like, well, for me personally, I liked that we would go into like the jungles and basically out in the field every day because I just feel like that's how I'm able to develop my skills better. It's just like hands on and like I don't I feel like if I were to have been like in a classroom like all day and like not really exploring, I don't think I would have gotten the same experience. So I feel like building those skills and making me just a better leader, a person that was more persuasive, I feel like it was effective and the goal in the end. I want to take a minute on the issue of persuasive. That's a really important concept. What do you think persuasive means and how did you become more persuasive? I feel like it's able to like convince people like more effectively. And I felt like I was able to read the person better, like a person better. So I kind of like knew like what to tell them and like how to say it. And I feel like part of that just played into um, them listening and them agreeing to what I was saying. Yeah, it's great. My question to you is, in my book, Playbook for Progressives, 16 Qualities of the Successful Organizer, one of the most important qualities is being a good listener. Like you were saying, people were listening to you. Were you listening to them? Yeah, I was. Because I know, like, for my first like member I know that like she would talk to me about like riding the train and I mean the bus and how it would be like expensive for her and I was like oh like I've been in your shoes as well like before that before my family got a car like we would bus it everywhere and so it was just like I understand like where you're coming from and like I was really able to like just understand her and like make her because she was just like, are you guys, she's like, if I become a member, are you sure, like, this is going to, like, be for real? Because, like, I know a lot of people say um, that, oh, yeah, like, if you join, like, we're going to do this and that and end up not doing it. And so I, I was like, yes, like, we've done a lot. And 
I promise you that like there's going to be change. And I feel like that was something that like really caught her and made her a member. When you said, when she said, how do I know you're going to do it? Did you tell her anything that we've won before? Yeah. I told her about the bus riders union and she was just like, I feel like that convinced her a little more and really caught her attention. Great. Jana. I feel like the best way I learned was from trial and error and then just going through it with an example. So Bridget and Stephanie, they were basically our leaders. And they're a little bit older than us, but we could still relate to them and just learn from the experience. First, they'll show us. Then we'll go out and try it ourselves. Then they'll give us feedback. Oh, maybe you should add some more facts. Maybe talk to them a little bit more before just jumping into it. And so after that, you just learn how to approach it differently and then how to get more responses from people. So you work with uh, Bridget Maya and Stephanie Prieto and they were about 20 when you were, how old are you now? If I could ask. I'm 17 now. Right. So you were 16, 17 this summer, right? So they're only three or four years older than you. What was it like working with older people like Channing? And then what was it like working with me and Barbara? Stay with you, Jana. <laughs> Say the truth. So, working with Channing, it wasn't that different. It's just his word choice was different or his approach was more mature. And then working with you and Barbara, it was kind of like night and day the way you started about it. Because with the younger group, we kind of, well, we introduced ourselves, talked about a little bit of what's going on in society before jumping in while you and Barbara were more political about it and direct, straight to the point, giving them lots of facts and strong opinions. How did that, because we often do all those things, right? I do sometimes ask how you're doing, but if that's how you perceive it, so how did, what effect did that have on you? How, when me and Barbara, that's a pretty good description, straight to the point. We, we start with a political opinion because we want to hear yours. How did you respond to that? At first, I was like, this is a little different, but then I just slowly started taking bits and pieces from what you guys were saying and then incorporate it into what I'm going to talk about with these people. You know how we discussed um, learning to be comfortable, to be uncomfortable? How uncomfortable do we make you feel? At first, I would say like 75% uncomfortable, but now, <laughs> now it's like 20%. I'm pretty comfortable around you guys. And if not, I know you guys are just giving me feedback to help me be better. Well, thanks. We never wanted it to be 75%. We just were willing to do it at first because we cared about you so much. And we knew you'd get to know us just like you get to know everybody. And you say, oh, they're not that unapproachable. You know, they, they care about us. How about you, Angelus? What were you thinking about the different people you work with inside the organization? I think it's very similar to what Gianna had said about how, you know, like when um, you, when I went organizing like with you and Barbara, um, like you guys were very straightforward and it was something that was new to me because usually when we went out in groups, like Gianna said, we had like different roles and then we would have like a, I wouldn't say it's a script, but we had like, okay, you introduce, you tell the demands, you elaborate on the demands, and then you close out. But then you guys were just like straight to the point. And then I think at first I was like, I was taken aback because I was like, I don't know how people are going to react to this. 
But then I saw that it was much more effective because you could straight away see, like, who was interested and who was just, like, um, just, like, messing around, like, oh, yeah, I understand, but they didn't really care. So I think that was good, and then it helped me with my approach as well. Well, this is great. We, got, we are going to write all this thing down and tape this, but I think what you just said was really helpful about how it even helped you to realize that if the more honest you are, the more honest they're going to be, and you're going to see they're not, you know, you're going to find out who's really interested and who's not. So, uh, Channing, thoughts? You jump in now. Yeah, I mean, I think it takes real practice to become direct. And I had much of the same experience when going on the bus as an organizer in training where, you know, it is sometimes hard to distinguish between whether someone's just trying to argue with you just for argument's sake, or they're genuinely interested in the conversation you're trying to have with them. That's on one side. The other side is that, you know, I had pretty bad results of just walking up to someone and saying, what do you think about the flyer or how's your day? As opposed to, you know, something like, are you really fed up about this fare increase that's about to happen? What do you want to do about it? Or something more direct. And when you're more direct and get straight to like something more controversial and something that'll really shake people up in a good way, that is, um, I think they're a lot more honest. Um, and you know, I think that's a theory that we've been testing for years and has been working for many years as well. You're on Voices from the Frontlines, the National Movement Building Show. You're on KPFK, 90.7 FM, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, and streaming live on the web at kpfk.org. You can also hear this show downloaded on our terrific website, voicesfromthefrontlines.com. And we're also on SoundCloud and Apple. Check us out on our podcast. So all those things, I want to ask the uh, listeners now a couple of things. The first thing I want to say to you is that here's how we're going to win a lot of these things. The first is Mayor Eric Garcetti. The mayor has four votes on the MTA board, but they're real people. One is Jackie DuPont Walker, who's been in the community for many years. If you know Ms. DuPont Walker, I worked with her on the Jesse Jackson campaign 1984. There's Mike Bonin, who's a city councilman, has been very good on a lot of civil rights issues, and we want to reach out to him. There's Mark Ridley Thomas, who's on the board, and we want his vote. There's Sheila Kuehl, who's on the board. There is Hilda Solis from the east side, who was, was the secretary of labor under Obama and is now the supervisor. And uh, there's Janice Hahn. So the first thing is, do you know anybody? Before you're going to call them, which we want you to do, and we'll get the, Kenny will give you the calling information, to say, I am calling for free public transportation. I'm calling for free public transportation for students right now. I'm calling for free public transportation. We keep changing it. We're going to say now for one year and then see how it goes. That's the new one. We really are concerned about the police brutality. And, you know, if you didn't enforce the fares and you just put on the honor system, you wouldn't be arresting people and harassing people. And I really care about climate change and global warming. we got to stop these cars. And the Bus Riders Union has a no cars in our campaign. And I think you should have auto-free zones, bus-only lanes that are real so people can't be driving in the bus-only lane. I want to have auto-free zones, auto-free rush hours. 
pick the thing that you understand the best and start making some calls. The second thing is you can write to me at eric at voicesfromthefrontlines.com and you can also send the same email to info at thestrategycenter.org. So it's eric at voicesfromthefrontlines.com, info at thestrategycenter.org and say the following. I'm interested in that auto-free Sundays. I'm interested in my neighborhood having an auto-free Friday. I'm interested in some group I'm in. Like I want to learn more from those Ochi students because they're the first ones. They're going to do an auto-free day. It looks like it'll, well, I'm going to ask you, I think we're talking about the fall, I guess, which is right because I don't think we can do it this summer. So if you want to start the No Cars, No A campaign, if you also want to start getting your friends to say, and we're going to have better materials, I'm signing the Bus Riders Union. This is how many miles I did not drive in my car this, this week and this month because of your campaign. If you want to get involved, please write to us at Eric at Voices from the Frontlines, info at thestrategycenter.org, and Channing and myself, Gianna, Cassandra, and Angelus will be back, and Barbara Lott-Holland will call you back. So in the fall, we're going to go back to Ochi, right? And we're going to, it's very good that we have the teachers on our side, which is really terrific. And we're going to say, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out. Um, hopefully, we're, I'm serious, we'll be out on, um, the orders will be um, out by then. I want to end by talking about COVID-19 and how you're thinking about it and how you're feeling about it. Because it's not just that we're, uh, I'm sorry, we don't know. You know, I know about social distancing and stay in place orders, other words like that, quarantine. How have you been thinking about it besides, you know, because real people are getting sick and real people are getting sick and the real people, some people are dying. Have you and your families been having conversations about it? Do you tend to watch on TV the all the stuff about the COVID-19 or do you just not want to know about it? Maybe we just go around a little bit on that. Jenny, we'll start with you. I have been thinking about it and it's weird. When you're a, a e-organizer, what, I, what tends to happen very little before the quarantine is that people are looking even at your personal social media for the news and for political you know, opinions because you're representing an organization. And that is one of the things that I learned right before the campaign is that, you know, you, you never stop being an organizer. Everyone's always thinking, oh, that person, for the organizer with this organization. And so they're always looking for your input. Um, and so given that I have been trying to stay up as much as possible and share as much as possible about what's going on with the quarantine as really a, almost like a, you know, extension of the, you know, the news to some extent. Um, and I've been watching the governor here and there. I've been watching the president here and there, uh, but mainly I'm reading a lot. And that is because when I watch a lot of the elected officials, it's, it's, uh, it's a little bit too intense for me um, to hear the numbers every time and to hear how close they are every time. Um, and it's intense for me because I'm hearing that. And then you're hearing it from all of your close you know, friends that, oh, this person passed away. Oh, that person passed away. Um, and if that's not enough, you know, there's articles almost every day about some of the most brilliant and most famous minds of the Black liberation movements and the Black jazz movements and the Black arts movements that, you know, to some extent, 
in my little mind, I, I hope to one day meet that person or to go to their concert and to hear their greatness. And here they are. They, they just passed away from this terrible disease. Um, that is very systematic. So all that to say, yes, I'm paying a lot of attention. Can I just start with you? This is what you're thinking about. How much are you thinking about? This is Angela Soriano, who's a, a student at Ochi High School in South Central, who's been working with us in our Taking Action clubs in high school, and also is a graduate of our Transformative Organizers Summer Internship Program. What are you thinking about COVID-19? Um, I've been thinking about it a lot because um, every day we watch the news at six, and then um, but we watch it in Spanish because of my mom, like so she can be informed too. And um, it's kind of frustrating and scary, I would say, because like every day the, the death toll rises. And then I've also been keeping up with like different articles and like different. Um, coronavirus cases around the world not just in the United States and how different countries are dealing with it and their approaches and um like I think it's kind of hard for people especially like the ones who don't have a lot of resources and like didn't get like the text that the government was giving because of like um different things I would say and um it's frustrating, like, um, I guess, like, socially, because you don't get to see as much people. And, like, especially because it was my senior year, there were so many different activities that were planned. And, like, graduation and prom and different things. And now, like, none of that's going to happen. So that kind of took, like, an emotional toll on me. And then, um, but it's also kind of frustrating to see, like, the way people are refusing to distance it's like I was looking at the news and they were talking about how like a lot of people were going to the beach and then how like it, it's not social distancing and how there's people protesting without wearing masks and they're um, in groups and then because they want like the state at home order to be lifted. So, yeah, we've been kind of keeping up with the news pretty often. Well, just to say on that, that the, uh, you know, most of the people who are protesting are white and right wing. My friend Jake Flukers, who was a United Oil Workers black man who lives in Shreveport now, you know, 70% of the people in, in Louisiana who are getting killed by coronavirus are black. And, you know, he said, you know, 70% of the people who are getting, who are dying were white they be the head of the stay at home. But because 70% of people are black, they want us all to get out of the house so more black people can die. And they're not, they don't think that, I mean, really, he said that they're not afraid because they just think it's a black people's disease. That's how racist it is. So we don't want it. We want to stay at home because we're the ones who are dying and they want to get out because they're always the white people who are trying to benefit from everything. So it's pretty sick, you know? Okay, uh, Cassandra. In the beginning, I was a little, like, skeptical of, like, the virus. Like, I, I didn't really know how to feel about it. And then I was just like, I don't know if these numbers are really adding up and everything. Because in the beginning, I was just like, I felt like it was more political. And then at the end, I started realizing that, like, people were, like, actually dying and, like, getting affected by it. So I was just like... I was, like, taking it a little more serious. And, like, every day, like, my mom has been turning on, like, the news at 6. So it's, like, 
it's like constantly hearing about it. So like now I don't even, I don't want to like, I don't want to hear about it anymore. It's just like, I'm like over it. And so it's just like, I miss like going outside and everything. Like I don't really step out of my house. And then like the few times that I have, it's like, I always have to like be protected like from head to toe, you know? And so it's just like, it's frustrating. Well, I'm not telling you what to do, but you know, if you really have a mask on and gloves and walk around, it is good to walk around, get some air. And uh, I'm lucky where I am. There's wide streets and there's not that many people on it. People have been pretty good. Everybody's got a mask on. I go for a walk every night. And uh, if somebody's on the sidewalk, I go into the street. If somebody's in the street, I, you know, people have been really good on this on the six feet thing. So at least consider getting some air. I'm not telling you what to do, but don't, you know, because this may go on for a while. And what's very sad to me about it is that most of the people we know were having a hard time before the coronavirus. They were already in an apartment that was too small for the family. They already had trouble with food. They were eating, but you wonder why a lot of black people are more obese or have hypertension. You know, what's the cheapest thing you can eat? And then if you're depressed, what do you want to eat? You know, a sandwich and chips. You know, that's what you want to eat. Something that feels good, that fills you up. And anyway, the thing I'm trying to say is the whole thing is very sad and I can't wait to get out back in the streets because that's where I function. It's very hard to be radical in your house. So I'm not making much sense, but that's where I am. Is I'm dying to get back out there and do this political work. But this is really pretty good political work that we're doing today. So I think Gianna and then Shannon get the last words. So the coronavirus or COVID-19 is pretty stressful because my dad is a nurse. So he's constantly out there dealing with these patients, interacting with them. And so we have to take a lot of precautions with sanitizing stuff when he's coming home and like just sanitizing his clothing, making sure we're all safe because it's pretty crazy at the hospital. He says every day they have new patients coming in with the coronavirus and they have to take different procedures just to make sure he's safe and everybody around them is safe and they don't contract the virus. Well, you know, it's funny because the system is, the system has a thing that's called false sentiment. I'm looking for other words, hypocritical. Like they'll say to you about your dad. Oh, thank you so much. You're an essential employee. We're all in this together. Do they give those people a raise? Did he say only work three days a week instead of seven and we're going to hire twice as many people for the hospitals because you shouldn't be working a five-week, a five-day shift. Do they say, we, don't worry, we're going to sanitize everything the minute you leave? We're going to, you know, they're not really doing that. So all this thing on TV about, we're going to give you a free pizza because we love you. You know, meanwhile, your dad is really on the front lines and tell him he has great respect from the strategy center. Thanks for telling us that. I'll let him know. Thanks. All right. Sounds good. Channing, take us out. Just to bounce off your point, a lot of people, there's a joke going on around social media is don't spend the money on marketing. Just give us the damn money. Goodness. That's right. <laughs> That's right. um, just raise the, fa- raise, the ra- raise the wages. It's that simple. Um, but seriously, in the last moments, this has been a really great conversation with actual organizers on the front lines. And with Voices, as you can see from the last several shows, we're trying to speak to organizers that are trying to make their work work in the midst of this whole quarantine. And all of us are trying to bring ourselves up to speed. 
because we're used to just working person by person in person, making real relationships um, in the physicality. And so this has been a really interesting journey. Um, and if you are interested in following and joining the work of the Bus Riders Union, you can go to www.thestrategycenter.org. And again, as Eric said, email us, eric at voicesfromthefrontlines.com, info at thestrategycenter.org. Um, if you are interested in listening to all of the previous shows of Voices from the Frontlines, go to voicesfromthefrontlines.com right now and subscribe to our newsletter and listen to all of the shows that are on our website and check us out even on the the platforms that you're already on including apple i apple podcasts uh soundcloud google play uh tune in stitcher and all of them that you can think about that was the voice of channing martinez the producer of voices from the front lines i'm eric mann the host and channing is also the co-host and I want to thank Gianna Magdaleno and Cassandra Soriano and Angela Soriano, Jenny Martinez and Eric Mann. We work together as you can tell. We are going to have a national webinar that this is in some way our dress rehearsal for it. Uh, if you're on the list, we'll certainly let you know on any of the social media. We need about a couple more weeks to get it ready and it'll be about this campaign for urban reconstruction. And the demands are no cars in LA, free public transportation, no police in LAUSD schools, no police on MTA buses and trains, stop MTA attacks on black passengers. If you're interested in this campaign for urban reconstruction, we really need you to reach out to us. We need more people to help us win. Take good care, all power to the people. We'll see you next Tuesday. And she saw it through without exemption.